bienvenido and welcome. My name is Annette Perel. I'm a proud Afro-Latina of Panamanian descent and a doula for over 17 years and mom of a son. I created this podcast to help connect people to other Black, Latino, and Indigenous people in the birth field. I also want my listeners to hear birth stories directly from the parents who experience them. Welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast. You are able to see someone from one, one place to another. So as they are transitioning, they find safety and security and trust within you when they're becoming their most vulnerable and they're in their most need. And the same thing with the support team and their family. So the sooner the better. Absolutely don't, don't hesitate. What if we prepared for death like we prepared for weddings or graduations? Today I'm interviewing Chantel Riley, a death doula. Her tagline, making the departure as significant as the arrival, really hits home. Chantel discusses what goes into the preparation, and not just the checklist of things to do, but the emotional and physical aspect of all involved in the process. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Chantel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's great. I'm so glad that I was able, we were able to work this out and have you here. So let's just jump right into the show. Awesome. What career did you want to do when you were in grade school, high school, and college? I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Straight off. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to be a lawyer all day, every day. What about law drew you? Justice. Mm. Advocating for, I, I just, I feel what I'm, I'm coming to learn about myself now. It, it's more, it's about the underdog. Mm. You know, it's about mm-hmm. the, the forgotten one, the one that quickly gets passed over and judged over about things and just letting there be like that, that correction. We, we see this, you know, these scales and this balance and it's just like, um, what does that really mean? You know, mm-hmm. like, does that, we right now, what we kind of like are dealing with is the imbalance, yeah. you know, so yeah. our skills of justice are not very much a balanced type of that figure. What they created is not really living out in real life. Mm-hmm. So I've always wanted to be able to represent the underdog, someone who, you know, needed a voice, needed like someone to advocate for them because they didn't have the ability to do it for themselves. So, you know, just re reestablishing what justice would really be for someone. Okay. And so before we get into all of the roles that you have now, because you have a bunch of them, what job did you do before you started these roles? Well, concurrently, I am a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I work in a factory. I've done something. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But currently, concurrently with the, what I'm doing, I am a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. And so you're also a death doula and a doula? I am a death doula, um, a bereavement doula, end of life doula, however you want to connect that. How did you go into from wanting to be a lawyer to an RN? So oh, in the midst of all of that, I went from wanting to be a lawyer to once I started working in the factory, I decided I wanted to become an engineer. So I was in school for um, mechanical engineering and there was this thing called trigonometry. Um, <laughs> that was just not for my life. <laughs> it made me think about this, but actually what really truly happened, it became a calling. So I, my mother um, was a heart transplant patient. Mm-hmm. 
And through the process of her waiting to get a heart transplant, um, there were a lot of things that she had to go through, frequent hospitalizations. Um, We ended up, she had to get like an IV that she was able to get administered at home to get medications to help her heart be strong, to continue to pump. And so when the home care nurses and they were planning this, they were like, you know, well, who will help her, you know, like get this, you know, like changing the medication and cleaning the lines and everything. And I was like, I would. I'll totally like help do that. So through that process and just spending that time with her and seeing how like healthcare professionals interacted and treated her. Mm -hmm. One day I was laying in bed and it was like, um, I felt like it was that moment that I got called and said, no, you should be a nurse. And literally I was supposed to be starting a semester um, in school that fall. And I went and I changed my whole program from mechanical engineering to nursing. Oh, (laughs) wow. Yeah. So that became the, the journey. Um, to becoming that nurse. So when when you were a nurse, then what brought you to doula work? Like what field in nursing did you get into? Well, I the first um, experience that I had, I did, um, it was kind of like a, a preceptor program. Okay. It was a program uh-huh. through what they call, um, so it was like my second to last clinical okay. in nursing school and had an opportunity to go and do like a clinical at Ruth Hospice. Initially, I wanted to do it because of the fact that um, I didn't have to have a clinical instructor there. So it was kind of like I could just be off by myself doing my own thing. So it was like, yeah, I would like to go be by myself and do something for a change. So I ended up getting the preceptor, um, that program and doing Ruth Hospice. It was it was mine, just really a, a mind shift change because it was able I was able to see people that had a life prior to arriving to this point of death Mm -hmm. and that we separate that we death is a totally separate event. Yes. But then we separate that person from the life that they have lived before, you know, this actually part of the life process Mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. So just looking at individuals and seeing individuals and being there and being supportive to them and and looking through their transitions and some graceful, some not um, that, it kind of sparked like an intrigue into like hospice work. I got offered a job, but I wasn't, I didn't know if I was really wanting to go into a hospice space mm-hmm. at that time. Cause I was not even officially a nurse out of nursing school yet. Yeah. I wanted to see some guts and gore, whatever <laughs> else I could experience. But, yeah. and plus I had a love for cardiac at the time. So I, I kind of, started my journey in cardiac um, after I graduated nursing school. Okay. And so then now you're a nurse. And then what brought you to doula work? Death brought me to doula work. Like in all honesty, um, I, my mother that I originally talked about, mm-hmm. she died in 2009. She had a stroke Sorry to hear um, that. and the experiences that we had with her. My mother was very open mm-hmm. when she would talk about, you know, if something had happened to her and she got in, went into the hospital and thought that she wouldn't make it. If those things happened, she wouldn't want us to do all this. Ex- she referred to it as extra stuff. But yes. when I got into nursing school, I found out the extra stuff meant like tube feeding, you know, mm-hmm. breathing tubes and things like that. So it was like, so I got it. And so when we literally, she had a stroke and in less than 24 hours, they were asking us, what did we want to do? Because she wasn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. But her having those conversations actually made the choice easy yeah. because it was more honoring her choices than making the choice for, for her. Yeah. And then in 2016, I actually lost my oldest son, um, Javante Sr. He, um, he was murdered mm-hmm. and that experience was a totally, that was the one that literally took me to my core mm-hmm. and not really 
you know, having to experience something as traumatic, even though losing my mom was a trauma, but something as traumatic as um, the loss of a child and how he was taken away from me. Mm -hmm. And then after that, a year later, my grandmother, who was 90 at the time, she passed away. And just from that period of having just a moment of just like reflection, like seeing how we were able to bring her home for her to die at home, like that was an honor to be able to do that and not necessarily, you know, it was embracing her life journey and that completion. So I look at these things in different ways. So like my mother and my son, those were lives that were ended abruptly and versus my grandmother, that was like a life cycle being completed. Mm -hmm. So learning and layering that, that knowing that death can be traumatic, but it can also be beautiful and knowing that you can experience that in either any kind of way, in any kind of form. And I started trying to talk to people about life insurance and values of advanced directives because my mom didn't have one, but we had her voice. My son, I talked to him like a week or two prior to um, dying because he had a son that we wanted to get life insurance for him for something for his son. But we didn't get a chance to follow up with that because he was taken away. Mm -hmm. So I started doing community education about that. And my friend was like, you know, I said, I want to be able to do that and like meet with people and talk to them about, you know, the value of these things, helping them complete these things. And so friends started sending videos. Um, They were just like, you should see this video. You should see this video. And I'm like, Who's this video? So like I would glance at it and I was like, all I seen was this black lady, you know, that just had like these beautiful locks. And I was like, I'm not going to look because um, I was like, I don't know. Then by the time the third person actually sent me the video, I was like, let me look at this video. And I looked at the video and it was like, oh, my God, I want to do what she does. I was like a death doula. I've never heard yeah. of a death doula. You know, I was like, I really want to do this because it was something about watching her during that clip. Her name was a Lua author. Mm-hmm. So now she's with going with grace. And so it was something about her sitting at that table with that client at that time and allowing that client to express her thoughts, her feelings, you know, and her family being present. And then there was a little one running around, you know, like in the back of this space. But it was just like all these people are going to be affected by Mm -hmm. the day that she departs here Mm -hmm. and her to empower and be that that, you know, someone that's in the middle of that to help facilitate those things. It was like an amazing thing. So I decided to research that and find out if it was a real thing or did she just like make that up or Uh something and finding out that this is something that is very real, you know, so it can be referred to as a death doula, Mm -hmm. end of life doula, midwife, however they they term it and people use it in different terms. Yeah. So guides, whatever that may be. So, yeah. And I decided that that was something I definitely wanted to do. So I started that journey to become a death doula. So what was involved in the training of becoming a death doula? So I ended up researching a a bunch of different because, like I said, it was a very real thing. So Mm -hmm. I ended up researching a bunch of different trainings. And then there was one that actually resonated with me. And I found it. It was through Lifespan Doula Association. And it was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So I'm here in Milwaukee, you know, Wisconsin. And I love the one that the fact that they had it, it was in person yeah. Two, they gave you guidelines like you, you had to not have experienced a death within a year um, before going into the training. Mm. I love the fact that there was more of the client, you know, is, is one part of that nucleus, but then they understand the value of, you know, everyone that surrounds that person, as I refer to as a support team yes. around that person. But all of these people in that, in that circle need to be nurtured in order for them to be able to be there for that person. Yeah. So I love the, the approach that it was a holistic doula approach. So mm-hmm. I decided to 
take that trek with me, my youngest son and my grandson up to Ann Arbor, Michigan and did, it was a three day intensive training, really, truly an intensive training because <laughs> you had an opportunity to kind of see what your relationship is about death yes. before you actually kind of go into a space of trying to facilitate and support other people mm-hmm. with that. And it was really, it, it did something that it took you down to your core about, you know, your perceptions, your feelings, um, how you would, you know, express that, share that, support other people with that. And it was a group of 25 of us in that in that space. And we all came from like various different backgrounds, a lot of nurses, yeah. but there were physical therapists. We had a lawyer. We had people who already worked in hospice. There was, I mean, massage therapists, just so many different people from so many different walks to come with this one thing that we all had in common. It was something about that relationship with death and knowing that people needed to be supported through it. So, yes, three days, totally intensive training. It took a, a, a couple like weeks to a month to kind of debrief from yes, all of that of course. before actually getting into a space of wanting to move to wanting to support people. Yeah. So, yeah. And then so you've taken the training and, you know, like you said, you gave yourself that month to debrief. Then what was it like supporting your first client through that process? So what I have come to learn through my process that a lot of people, um, they don't really like to talk about death a whole lot. So to come into that space. You know, willingly is it's still it's still a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one I actually worked with was because they sustained a loss of a loved one, so it was more kind of on the back end, yeah. Um, where it was offering um, more of a grief support mm-hmm. and helping and supporting them through accepting it and you know starting to integrate your life, yeah. And that is when you start to realize that the relationships that people have with those loved ones. They're impacted by it in such a way. And I, I talk a lot about a ripple effect when people, one life is lost, a ripple effect of how many people are impacted by that. Yeah. And so um, I am, I've dealt with clients who have experienced um, infant loss. I actually had a client who was supporting someone and I was actually supporting them. Mm-hmm. And right now I do have a client that um, had a life limiting diagnosis that I am supporting in that experience really you you really have to start to connect with yourself because remembering that this is not your personal journey but it is a journey of that person yeah. and the people that are surrounding them and it's a lot of um reframing um different thought processes and helping them see things from a different perspective because of the fact that we don't talk a lot about death yeah we have a very apprehensive negative final, you know, yeah. concept about it and it's all bad, yeah. you know, so allowing someone to embrace the fact that they're making the choice to live until that transition happens mm-hmm. and making sure that they have the best quality of life in between there is it's important and that's individually based. So you don't have that ability to, it's not, you know, it's not cookie cutter. Yeah. It's, it's coming to know you you know, finding out your fears and your concerns, you know, your thoughts about that. And then my role comes in to help you start to dissect a little bit of that, learn some of those things and learning different ways to approach it. When do you think it's the best time to consult with a, a death doula? Because, you know, you've mentioned twice that they've 
gotten diagnosis and then sought out. But when do you feel would be the best time? There's a lot of different opportunities. Mm -hmm. I feel like one, um, like I am really a big fan of preparation. Yes. So you can connect with a deaf doula if you are looking into getting your advanced directives together. If you're trying to figure out like what things would I need? Because we think that death is some this end of life process after life is completed. But you know, it's something as simple as going to a grocery store that can cause that change to happen. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. in our lives are, we're not guaranteed a timeline. Mm-hmm. Preparation is, is really important. And I don't think a lot of people realize that there's value in preparation just because we talk about death. One of my sayings is that um you don't have to be dying to talk about death. Yeah. Um, you can actually talk mm-hmm. about it now. So yeah. that preparation is a really good thing. It's like if you have children, you just, you know, started having children. What do I need to do to make sure if something happens to me that my children are being taken care of, um, what if I get, you know, start to have chronic health conditions, what do I need to do to make sure that if something happens and and changes for me, that I have people to be my voice? Yeah. Do I need certain documents to be in play? What if I need extra help with questions? Because I'm not really sure because some of our providers are getting 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes for an appointment and they're not able to, when you're getting information, and it's happening to you real time, it takes some time to absorb and process yes. that. And sometimes when you're getting that, the the thought of thinking you're supposed to make a decision right away is a lot of pressure Yeah, when you haven't even processed what's happening. So being able to seek out someone to kind of help filter those things out early on. So I feel like the earlier, the better. Um, it is also allows you opportunity creating that rapport and relationship. So you are able to see someone from one, one place to another. So as they are transitioning, you know, they find safety and security and trust within you when they're becoming their most vulnerable and they're in their most need. And the same thing with the support team and their family. So the sooner, the better. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't hesitate. Yeah. Some of the things that stood out to me is that you mentioned, you know, we do have this very negative association with death. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, there's only like two cultures that I can think of that really have, well, not really death, but like the Mexican culture has a very strong association with death, right? As Mm -hmm. another process of life, they celebrate it. They have altars. They keep their loved ones in in prayer and communion constantly. And, and Spanish cultures to extent do some sort of that. But when it comes to death preparation, I find that that that's the hardest to kind of have a conversation beforehand. For mm. example, my my dad passed away over six years ago as a result of um, Alzheimer's. And when he passed, he passed away in another country. He, he went back home to Panama. And okay. when we got notice of his passing, it was like, well, what's going to be done? Like I had no mm-hmm. idea what his wishes were, mm-hmm. how we were going to manage that, if anything. And I just knew I had to go. Like I, I was like, I have to be there. I can't leave him. Um, he, him and my mother had been separated for many years, but they never really discussed it. So then I made a choice to have him cremated. And I know for me, that was a very hard choice to make because I did not know if that was his wishes. And I wanted to be able to, you know, just like make sure that he was happy in his final life of like 
that stage of that I took, right? Because then it became an issue of like, well, who keeps the ashes? And I just knew that for me, that was too much. My um, nephew wound up keeping the ashes. But, you know, I feel, I feel like it's a hard conversation to have, even with my mother after that. And I asked her her wishes. The first words out of, out of, most elders mouth is you're trying to put me in the grave. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, no, I want to make sure that I do what you want. And they have a hard time just coming to that. This is what I want my life to be. And when my grandmother passed away, it was also challenging. She passed away. The anniversary of her death was the 28th on Thursday. Um, mm-hmm. And she passed away in 1994. And we had no clue of what she wanted to do, right? There was no conversation. And my grandfather, her husband passed away six months after that. Oh. And it was like, again, there was these no conversations, but I just saw how, like, like you mentioned, having, having advanced directives, what was going to happen to the land that they've acquired together? What's going to happen? How, how the children going to manage the property now that it's been left to right. them? So is will preparation part of the conversation around like what you want to happen to you physically? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is all inclusive because mm-hmm. we have, you know, you have the monetary things, you have the physical things. So like part of like one of those preparation type of sessions is to talk about, like I said, advanced directives to talk about, um, you know, your thoughts. First of all, let's talk about the thoughts. Let's not ask you just what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your thoughts that are centered around these yeah. options. So, you know, currently here, you know, you can either it's burial or cremation. Yeah. You can do a more natural green type of burial yeah. or you can do, you know, some of the other what we consider to be, you know, in a sense, more traditional. The things that you're familiar with that even though the green burial is actually more traditional. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just going to say definitely. But <laughs> just, you know, but letting let's have a conversation. first. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how you feel. Let's talk about your thoughts, because that's we're not going to really, you're not going to get to that place yes. of getting yeah. to the planning and talking about these things until we start to understand your thoughts and your relationship about death. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that first. Tell me about, you know, like, tell me about how do you feel about death? What do you think about death? Who have you had experienced death with? You know, who have you lost? Yeah. What were those experiences like? So to be able to start to make that more relational and bring it because I'm a, I'm a believer that nothing becomes personal until it's personal. Yes. So like it doesn't affect me until it affects me. Mm-hmm. So even though people around you are like dying, but until it shows up to you, then it becomes a different thing. So right yeah. now, even though people are close to them are dying, it's still not you. Yes. So to still come back and have those conversations to people, it's just like, no, because it's not me and I'm not, you know, I don't want to think about or talk about that because it, what you kind of like mentioned, the thing about, you know, the thing you say, like it's death, like you're manifesting death or something. Yes. It's like you're not manifesting death, you know, because as we try to refer back to, you know, biblical teachings is that, you know, like we have no control. We don't know yeah. when things are going to end for us. So why not, you know, what is, what would be the punishment and preparation? What would be the difficulty? And the difficulty is that we don't talk about these things. So let's first have a conversation of how you feel and what you think and start to unravel that. So then we can bring that in 
and then start to talk about what your choices would be and what that would look like. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And then, so you also mentioned too, that you started doing cafes, like death cafes. Yeah. (laughs) Tell tell us a little bit about your death cafes and, and with, you know, how it started, how it's going, what the conversations, what the feedback is around them. Yeah. As you could tell, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. So in the in, so the in the process of trying to research becoming a death doula, I kept someone death. Will you Google death? Of course. So death cafe kept coming up, and I was like, I don't know what that is, and I'm not going to look at it right now because of the fact that um, I know that I'm a person who, in my mind, I have a really big plate. Yeah. So I have room to put more things on this plate all the time and the plate can grow, but the <laughs> things don't ever come off the plate. So I was like, I'm not going to look at this because if I do, then it's I'm probably going to put one more thing on my yes. plate that I, I want to really just truly focus on trying to become the death doula. So yeah. I was like, skip that. Don't look at it. But then it kept showing up. And I, I, I do believe that when things keep resurfacing in your life, it's something that you need to, you know, pay attention to or address. Yeah. So I was like, um, OK, let me look at this. So. So it was like John Underwood is actually the founder of um, Death Cafe. And this was over in London. Mm-hmm. And I started to read about it. And one of the things that I thought was so amazing was like what I refer to as the underpinning, the yes. underpinning of the Death Cafe. You know, when people think, oh, we're, we're just going to talk about death and dying. Da, da, da. And it's just like, no, it's actually the underpinning. And like the mission is for you to start to become aware of the the finiteness of your life that you start to think like, Oh my God, I, you know, so I'm 30, you know, like, what do I need to do with my life? How do I make my life, you know, be of value for myself? Do I leave something behind? What do I do? You know, if I'm leaving footprints here on the earth, like, what am I leaving? What am I doing? Did I take that trip today that, you know, did I decide to do something because I'm waiting? We we live in a society that we're always waiting for Mm -hmm. to do something, to live. So it's like, but what if that what we're waiting for doesn't happen? Yeah. So the things and the opportunities that we don't get to take in life, we don't take them because we're waiting for something to happen before we do it. When I get older, or when I retire, or when I do these things, it's like, no, but you have, you know, health and, and like physical abilities now try to do them now, yeah. you know, and maybe not on the scale that, you know, that you think that you should be doing things on, but just like taking, being grateful and embracing life currently for yeah. what it is and living it and just making it a, a good quality for whatever that looks like for you. So, so yes, I, I love the underpinning and I was like, I would love to do that. And so started trying to shop around for different coffee shops and locations of places and like, Hey, you know, made a little flyer. And I was like, you know, my name is Chantel. I'm wanting to want to know if you would be willing to share space so I can, you know, I wanted to do what's called a death cafe. And then the facial expressions, <laughs> I can imagine telling you that people were not buying into this. And it was like, you know, it's like, you know, and then I try to give them a little bit of explanation, but then I understand that, you know, the term death is like, yes. you know, when it's really not, you yes. know, so it was like, I'll give you a little bit of reading and maybe I'll follow up with you. And there were some people I know I'm like, no, I'm not going to follow yes. up with you because mm-hmm. you're already looking at me like this is not happening. Yes. Exactly. And so I actually met someone who allowed me to host the first one in mm-hmm. their space. And, you know, I was just like super excited because I'm like, but I don't know if people want to talk about death. So I'm, I know that people aren't really going to show up. And I remember one lady walking through the door 
and we still have a connection to this day. Mm-hmm. And she walked in and she's just like, so what made you want to do this? And how did you get into them? Like, okay. And so like, I gave her the story yes. and everything. And so like I said, we have a connection because she was also a deaf midwife. And she's like, I have some people that you really should meet. And I was like, she's like, you should really be interested in becoming. I said, I am doing the training next yes. month actually. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's been, it will be three years for Deaf Cafe in July. Actually, Wonderful. First one. So it's been an amazing space. You know, COVID has changed that format mm-hmm. from being face-to-face to being more of a virtual setting but the blessing about that is that it allows accessibility to people who yes. probably not have had access exactly to it. more people so, can come and not just yeah. in your yeah. your area I thought that was actually yeah I've had like people from Hungary you know come on and it's just like I'm always obsessed with time you know time yeah. differences when I mm-hmm. meet people from other countries I'm like what time is it where you are you know <laughs> it's like I do this time again yes but the conversations because of the fact that one of the if I say rules about Death Cafe is that you cannot have an agenda. You have to let the conversations um, basically unfold organically. I typically start by asking everyone what brought them to Death Cafe. And so it could be death. You know, it could be the fact that I know that I'm getting older and, you know, me approaching that. And how do I approach that? I'm single and I don't have children. So what do I need to do? I have been mourning already, you know, the loss of a parent before they even died. Mm -hmm. Now they died. So now, you know, it's I feel different about this process. Should I feel guilty about this? You know, Mm -hmm. having conversations with older family members about, you know, death and just like, um, like, yeah, it's it just it unfolds in such a way, you know, people finding out about deaf doulas for the first time yeah. during the cafe. And so just like and people asking about resources and what's available out there to them to help them with this. And, you know, we talk about the funeral industry and how, you know, we have funeral directors that come, you know, and I'm like, I have personal feelings about the funeral industry and yeah. how it is a business and how it's a vulnerability. Mm-hmm on people during that moment and not being a sales pitch, but like really this is a vulnerable moment for people. So preparation can help eliminate that coming to some doorstep with the absolute need and not being able to be that consumer in death the way that you are consumer in life. Exactly. So yeah, the the conversations are just, they're, they're, they're thought provoking. People have done things after attending a death cafe, be it like having conversations with their families, you know, started to get advanced directives and it's just a beautiful thing, especially when you have people who come back and say, yeah, I talked to my family about this. And it's like, oh, my God, it's so this is it. This yeah. Is why? So, yes. Well, that's great. And then so is it a, is it a process that they can go through, like, you know, getting advanced an advanced directive? Do they need to get a lawyer? What what is entailed in that? No. So I have actually been trained to support people with completing advanced directives. Um, I actually, I drove up to Green Bay, you know, Green Bay Packers, Lambeau Field, like literally the place that I went training, I could look out the window and see Lambeau Field. Oh, wow. Um, but so I, I've done training to be able to meet with people to help them choose like their person that will be their voice that will advocate for them and what that looks like. So just because I have a spouse that doesn't automatically obligate that spouse to be the decision maker for me. Mm-hmm. Just because I have children, it doesn't have to flow in the, the relationship of the oldest child yeah. being the one to facilitate that. So being able to choose whoever your your power of attorney person is going to be. There's different types. You have your advanced directives, you know, so it's, you know, that person choosing that person 
and then also like what they'll be responsible for. Mm -hmm. And then there's like your living will. So if you have a life, you know, uh, it's a possibility that you may not, you know, return to the quality of level life or death becomes imminent, that there's different things that you would like or for them to not do. So there's a different form for that. So advanced directives comes under, it's that big term. And then there's power of attorney for healthcare, there's living wills, you know, there's durable power of attorney for health, you know, for finances. Yeah. You know, so there's these other different things. So helping people understand and navigate and how to make the best decision for them. Understanding that these documents are not like once you sign it today, like I told, you know, I, I explain to people, I'm like, you know, you may fall out with so-and-so at the barbecue and now you don't want that person to yeah. make these life-changing decisions for you. <laughs> exactly. You can change that decision. You know, you can change who you want to be that person as relationships and dynamics change. You can do that. And then also facilitating the conversations with the person that's designated to be that person and making sure that they understand that role as well. And are they comfortable with taking on that role? Because like I said, just yeah. because a family orders and in a relationship doesn't necessarily say that there's an ob- obligation to do so. This is fascinating. And <laughs> it really is because what, what comes to mind is that, you know, we prepare for everything else in life. We prepare for college. We prepare, prepare for marriage. We prepare to buy that new car, buy that house. The one thing we don't always, we don't prepare for is death, you know, and it can, it can be simpler if we just make those connections and yes. do it in advance. And like you said, yeah. not knowing that it's not finite just because I chose you today doesn't mean that you have to be that person. Or if, right. if something happens in that person's life where they turn around and then come to you and say, I can't do this anymore. Right. Also, right. The, uh, also being able to, to choose someone else. Um, but I like the idea of having the entire family involved so everyone can hear yes. you know what what decisions need to be made and how those decisions how they yes. came to those decisions where it's not this dynamic of like you mentioned the older child making the mm-hmm. decision and feeling like you know someone's voice wasn't represented in that yes. or trusting yes. Can I trust what you say is true as a thing as well so it sounds like, you know, I know for me as a, as a birth doula, mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's a, it's a heavy, heavy load sometimes to take mm-hmm. on being that person and supporting families through this. How do you take care of you with so, all of this? I, I, I meditate. My, my heavy rotational books is something that I find pleasure and joy in. I do, I do debrief. Okay. And what does debriefing look like for you? So debriefing means like sometimes I'll write notes. I do have, um, I have therapy, (laughs) so I do. But so, but for the most part, like even if like I come home, you know, just kind of having just a little bit of a moment to kind of reflect on, you know, what took place earlier. And then just like knowing that, did I give my best? You know, did I support them? Are there things that I feel like I can um, approach them with next time? And like make these little notes for myself, you know, but then after I'm done with that, to leave it there. Okay. You know, to definitely leave it there and be able to pick it up again when, you know, that is not something that I'm I'm swirling with it 24-7 yes. because, you know, I still have myself. You know, mm-hmm. I am co-parenting with my grandson's mother, my son that I lost to help raise my six-year-old grandson. You know, I have two sons, surviving sons as well. 
So like I said, but the biggest thing on top of that is that I have myself because I have to be in a place to be able to provide and be supportive to everyone, clients and my loved ones as well, you know, so and yeah, I do yoga. I spend time in nature. You know, I I nurture friendships that I have that are very valuable to me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's just dancing in the middle of the floor, you know, singing yeah. songs. I actually have a blog that I just reconnected with that um, sharing parts of my life journey That's to wonderful. just remind people that they are not alone yeah. In, yeah. in this life um, are things that I find joy with. So, yeah, that's what I do. That's great. That's great. And so I want to backtrack one second before we move forward into the next. But when someone is contracting you for services, mm-hmm. can you describe a little bit of your packages or how that yes. that works? So I do. There's like a la carte services. So it kind of depends on the client. So okay. I do a free consultation mm-hmm. so we can kind of figure out what you actually would benefit from. OK. Um, you know, at that time. And then I currently offer kind of like there's three different types of things that I do. So there's, you know, not do, but offer. So, you know, I have one package that um, is available. So I do things like I allow you like a two hour respite. So her, their support, especially if it's a, you know, a primary caregiver to that person mm-hmm. to be able to offer respite to them, because I do understand that you also need to be full and nurtured and supported in order for you to be able to provide what you need to do for that and that loved one. I do like actual visits. So I do virtual visits or face-to-face visits, whatever you um, are comfortable with. I give you an opportunity to do like a legacy project or we will write your obituary. We will determine, like I said, kind of like, what do you want to do? Um, cremation or burial. We know we discuss those thoughts and those feelings about that. I like personally will contact like funeral homes to be able to get rates and things like that for you. So you can make the most informed decision as possible. I also, I do like meditation and sound therapy with my clients and their support team to make sure that they stay, you know, nurtured within their soul and giving them that opportunity to balance. We, yeah, I offer resources to them. So whatever, whatever I want to function in the world role of, I want to be that person to help with this imbalance of what's happening with life to create a balance for you so you can be present and you can be available through this process, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and not having to worry about those little details. So I'm your little detail person okay. to just mm-hmm. make sure that you are um we're covering those things that are when we get to that point of the departure that we're not trying to run and put all these things together. Like I currently right now, I've had my, the client that I'm working with, we have done videos for his children. So they will be able to um, have these things after um, their, their once he's departed. Yeah. So it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to share. And what I've learned just from working with them is that it gives them that continuation of having purpose. Yeah. That they're doing something and giving something and they're not just here in this space, like dying. Yeah. It's what a lot of people think, like, I'm just dying. It's just like, no, you're living. You're living. You're living exactly. You know, but it may look different. So, yeah. And then I do grief support. So, like I said, for people who have lost people already and they need um, support with helping, you know, like I said, integrating what had happened to what their life is currently moving in the direction of. 
in different ways of like how to honor, how to support, how to get through that first, you know, year, the anniversary, whatever that may be, offering them resources, trying to connect them to therapists, whatever they may need. So and just being that person and understanding that I'm not there with judgment, that I'm there to create space and hold space for you to be able to share all those vulnerable raw feelings that you may have to help you go through that process. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's it's amazing what you do. It's so needed. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So my next segment is going to mm-hmm. be a lot of lighter. It's um, okay. <laughs> it's what I like to call daily inspiration. What brings you joy? Watching my grandson be this free spirit who like is openly expressing himself. You know, being able to like nurture, you know, feeling nurtured, feeling safe, feeling supported so he can explore and grow versus, you know, right now we're in, I know we said light, but a little bit of heaviness that um, he's a young black male and just dealing with, you know, what we see in, in, in society right now facing, you know, our, our black men Mm -hmm. that, you know, allowing him to create a space where he can be liberated. He can be free yes. that, you know, he can take up space. Yes. We are teaching him to take up space. We are teaching him that he matters, that he has value. So to watch him just step into that and be existing in that, that brings me joy. He challenges my soul sometimes. Oh, but yes. it brings me joy. I, I totally understand. I'm in the same, in the same frame when I was raising my son of like, he has a voice. Mm-hmm. He, he matters. He has autonomy. Yes. He has yes. a say in what happens and what, yes. and, And that does bring up things for you because I was raised, I was raised, I'm the youngest of three. (laughs) And so I'm the baby. So I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of the same restrictions as my sister's claimed Mm -hmm. I've had um, in the sense that I always had a voice. And Mm -hmm. so I could always say and do things outside of what was considered normal, like, you know, so things that weren't supposed to be said, I said it, you know, so raising, raising my son to be able to say those same things and feel those Mm -hmm. same ways, it does at times push your buttons because it does, you kind of go, hmm, Ooh, that, that, that stung a little, right? And it brought up something. So yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from because it, and you have to kind of check yourself and take a minute. I used to have to count to five and be like, okay, what is this bringing up for me? Because it's not him. It's me. It's always me. It's not him. You know, so yeah, I, that's, that's a beautiful thing. For sure. For sure. (laughs) What's your favorite scent? Lemongrass. Lemongrass, lemongrass, lemongrass. I am <laughs> love lemongrass. Like, yeah, I have a whole nother business that I do holistic um, products and things like that and offer services through because I'm a yoga teacher too. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I did an herbal apprenticeship and I found out about lemongrass and it is my life. Yeah. So a lot of the products that I make, you know, herbal salt soaks and things uh-huh, like that uh-huh. have lemongrass is one of those uplifting type of, you know, energizing types of smells that it's just, I love it. Yeah. I have a rollerball blend that, you know, sometimes I'll just sit there and just sniff. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, everything that it sounds very grounding, right? Of just yeah. like, yeah, we need Creating that. Espe- exactly. Especially now, right? Because yeah. it is very challenging. We're in very yes. challenging times. My next question is, what's a quote or saying that inspires you? So, <laughs> okay. So one of the books that I'm reading mm-hmm. 
All About Love by Bell Hooks. Um, I love Bell Hooks. So I've got my wish list of books that with her name on it that mm-hmm. I really need in my library, mm-hmm. but I'm on book buying, you know, yeah. restrictions right yeah. now. So until I finish another book. Yeah. And oh, so I, I, I get you on that too, because I have like <laughs> 20 books yes. that I yes. haven't read and yeah, I can't buy anymore. Yeah. Yes. They're in my wish list. So I put okay. them in the Amazon wish list mm-hmm. all the time. So um, there was a, what I call close the book moment. So those are the moments when I read something and I have to sit with it. So I close the book. There's no more reading any further with that. Mm-hmm. And I had a close the book moment because I deal with anxiety. And so like a lot of things are like I'm thinking and overthinking and fearing and all of that. And so one um, part of the chapter, I can't remember it was, but she said, you know, your fear may not go away, but it will not get in the way. Mm. and I and literally it did it was like close the book let's sit with this right here because that right there is about to be a game changer because I literally sat in a space of always trying to get over fear yeah do something and realizing that I was still stagnant or still in like I could not I could not move because I have to get over the fear first yeah let me get over the fear like it was something to get over and I read that and realized that I may not ever get over that but you know I have to go through it anyway and do it anyway. So I do a lot of things afraid. Yeah. My intention is to do them afraid until I'm no longer afraid. Oh, and so it's, it's, so that's my own quote. How about that? (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. It is, it's true. Fear is very debilitating and, and can be very binding. And it's one of the things that, you know, my, my son has taught me to be fearless. In certain ways, because I did not want him to grow up with fear like I grew up with fear Mm -hmm. in the same ways. And I did a lot of things when he was younger, afraid, like we we went zip lining Mm -hmm. and I'm afraid of heights. I do not like heights. We've done it twice. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you I'm like nervous and shaking because I want him to see that you can still do things mm-hmm. when you're afraid, like it should mm-hmm. not stop you. And I did yeah. some terrifying things afraid. We we went when we went zip lining in Jamaica and we also went around this. Um, they have this bobsled that goes around the top of a mountain and you kind of you are in charge of how fast or slow it goes. And you know, mm-hmm. like, like any kind of like a roller coaster ride and they take your picture. Yeah. I was like, my face was like, <laughs> <laughs> he was thrilled, but I thought I was going to die. But I was like, I, I want him to know that, you know, I've, I'm not fearless. Like I'm yes. human yes. and, and yes. I'll do it afraid. So that, that is a, that is a good one. That is yes. a really good Thank one. You. Yeah. Yes. And my next segment is, birth story if you would like to share a birth story yeah yeah i know you so have- my my oldest son and this is and, and i'm really wanting to share part of this story and yes. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll have to fast forward how we got to my youngest son okay and that birth story and how that went totally so i was i was 16 when i was pregnant with mm-hmm. my oldest son mm-hmm. so how much of life that we don't know about at 16 yeah about that much. Um, we think we <laughs> well, know we, that we think much. We know this much. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, um, so that, that it was an experience that it was actually kind of traumatic because I, you have no clue what you're about to experience, no. you know, with this. And because there's more of a, a, 
you know, because of the stigma yes. and like there's like disenfranchisement because of being a teenage parent. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't get like the there's no fanfare and celebration, no. you know, about you bringing a child into this world. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you that's like your even though that's your first kind of like relationship of this, the shame and guilt yes. that comes into play, you know, with being a teen parent. So these experiences you don't necessarily get to enjoy learn about talk about express and things like that so um i know it was less than five hours that i was in labor with this this whole you know little person (laughs) and um and just like it 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 was like this thing that just went yeah and still not really you know like these moments next thing you know you see a whole little person it was like a whole bunch of pain and then a person you know and didn't know what my choices were and my options were. Mm-hmm. So my middle son, that was like a whole separate situation. I was 18 when I had him and that was first time experiencing what, you know, a NICU, you know, oh. was about, but yet still being a, you know, a teenager, yeah. no one's really, you know, Talking engaging you. you and understanding my mental, emotional mm-hmm. abilities you know, and how to prepare and, and be in these types of spaces. And now I'm being a parent to two children yeah. and still trying mm-hmm. to grow up myself. And then I was 25 when I had my youngest son. And I knew by that time there were going to be no more children coming. Not here. <laughs> and wrap. Um, we are going to shut all of this down because three is the magic number. Two was a magic number, but three became the you know, all of them were a blessing, but I learned more things as I got older. Yeah. And I was like, I'm enjoying this pregnancy. I was like, I am going to embrace this. I mean, let's get the hair done, the nails done. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, wear things mm-hmm. that I normally wouldn't wear because the first two pregnancies consist of jogging suits and, and whatever <laughs> my, my my son's father had at the time. Like, yeah. I'm wearing that. But like now I was like, nope, let me dress nicely. You know, let me embrace this. Mm-hmm. Let me embrace this pregnancy because if this is really going to be the last one, we are going to do this, you know, in the way that I envision and I see. Yeah. And the support that came around me with that was a, a very beautiful thing. And it wasn't just like through my family. It was like friends, families and things like that. And um, I did like birthing classes with my best friend at the time. Um, he was um, very supportive. He was actually there for the birth of my youngest son, mm-hmm. you know, and just going through that whole process of like understanding, like I'm bringing life, you yeah. know, into this world and I am nurturing and growing life. And, you know, the, I was like, I don't want payment, you know, like I want to be able to do, you know, have this experience and, and fully be present in this experience And going through the delivery and like the birth afterwards was just, it was a challenging, but a very beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. And just like knowing that from reflecting back when I had my first two children of how your role of being a birthing doula, you know, and being able to open and expand that to people is absolutely necessary, especially when we don't feel like we we rely on our providers to yeah. be the decision maker for us mm-hmm. and not including us sometimes with the decisions yeah. that would need to be made. And so being able to feel like I had a, I cried after my um, OB, you know, delivered my baby because of the relationship that we had, mm-hmm. you know, because he really truly made me feel like I mattered and this was important. Wow. And yeah. so, you know, it was just like, it was a beautiful experience. So 
part of that and just like advocating, you know, one of my friends, like one of my friends, friends like, do you have a doula? You need a doula. <laughs> you know, she was in, she was in Atlanta at the time. I'm like, you need to, I was like Googling, like, no, we need to find one for her because she don't need somebody to help her with this. And just realizing that there's a value in, you know, this consistency. And like, I like it from the end that I do it because there's something about having the continuity and the consistency of a person. Like my best friend was that person for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people in that role of being able to provide that continuity because you're seeing providers, Mm -hmm. you're seeing staff when you're only seeing them for the first time because you don't know them when you come into the hospital. But there's some ease of having that presence of that continuity of that person who has followed you through that process and being able to look to them for that support and advocating for you and everything. So that was a beautiful experience. The last one, um, <laughs> don't plan on doing it again. <laughs> and, um, but, and then that gave me something that I take away with when I work with people who have had experienced perinatal loss, you yeah. know, because of that preparation. Like my business, the tagline is, you know, making the departure as significant as the arrival yes. because mm-hmm. of the fact that we spend so much time preparing for someone we have not met yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and then having that ending happen before you actually get a chance to meet them. Yeah. And, you know, feeling like, do I mourn this because I never met them because they weren't a full person? It's just like they were there. Yeah. You know, they were there. They so were there. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. So I, the experiences that I've experienced help cultivate, you know, me into the person that I am to be able to share that and kind of relate to people yeah. and through their experiences, but not injecting my experiences to e- them. Exactly. That was yeah. those, all of those stories were so beautiful. I really appreciate you. And thank, thank you, you for, thank, thank you, you for sharing that with me. It's really, I'm really excited. I love that tagline, making the ending as significant as the beginning. Right. That's yeah, what you said. The, yeah. Making Make, the departure. Making the departure. As the arrival. Making the yes. departure as significant as the arrival. That, yes. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your experience. This is so valuable. I'm, I'm so honored to have, have met you and glad that, that we connected. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I am grateful for you for reaching out and just sharing the space with me today. Definitely. I think it's important. I, I, I mean, I couldn't be a doula and not think that all types of doula work is not important. And when yeah. I found out about death doulas, I was like, I need to know more. And I know everyone needs to know more about this yes. as well. Yes. Because I feel like they think we don't exist. Yes, um, I think that then, is true. Yeah. Yes. And then if they find out, they're like, how do I find you? Yes. You know, how do I find them? How do I get connected to them? Exactly. So, exactly. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I am. I'm about to do. Well, I have a client that I'm, I'm in, in contact with because there's a change in condition okay. right now. But um, but other than that, I am just I'm basking in just taking each moment at a time this weekend. That is all we can do. Yeah, that is all. Well, gratitude do. to you oh, for what you, you do. Thank you, you know, in, in creating this platform yeah. to share. So, and you have a beautiful weekend. Thank as you. Well. You too. You too. Thank we'll you. talk soon. I'll send you. Okay. We'll talk again before the episode gets released. Okay. All right. Great. Absolutely. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Bye bye. Gracias. Thanks for listening to the Clear Birth Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at the Clear Birth Podcast. If you want to send me an email, you can reach me at theclearbirthpodcast at gmail.com. Adios. Hasta luego. Goodbye. Until next time.